0: take your bibles and turn with me to first peter chapter three we will begin there and then we will go everywhere this morning pretty much we are not picking back up on our series in john's gospel this morning we're kind of following up our bible conference from last weekend and my statement was on wednesday night and in the grace notes article i kind of wanted to wrap it up wrap it all together I did not mean by that I'm going to review everything that Bruce Ware said on those uh, five sessions. Hope you understand that. Matter of fact, I'm going to try to bring about some application, how we use what Bruce taught us on all day Sunday and Monday and Wednesday nights in our conference on Christian apologetics. Because sometimes we can get confused and think that, well, if we get just enough knowledge, then we can really really do something, but our problem is we tend to always think, but I don't have enough knowledge to do that. I'll never have enough knowledge to do that. I'll never be able to, to argue the, the facts, if you will, as clearly as a Bruce Ware could or, or does or, or somebody else. Part of the reason we're having our Sunday school lessons that we are having for this quarter, following off of that Bible conference, dealing with 10 common objections to the Christian faith is to give you some knowledge. But I'm sure this morning, as you studied you know the whole objection of there just isn't really a God, I'm, I'm sure you sat there and you thought, man, I'll never be able to argue this point. Well, argument's not the issue. We'll see that in a minute. The issue is having some, found, some grounding, some foundation, to be able to at least understand where the issues are, And then be able to share those and deal with those in a a loving sort of way. And we'll talk about what I mean by that again in a minute. But but if you remember, we sort of based the the foundation for both Sunday school and the conference last weekend on this passage out of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3 and and verses 15 and 16. Where the Apostle Peter writes, "...but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts." Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and with reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. And Apostle Peter there makes several statements that are important to understand as a basis for understanding, if you will, apologetic evangelism. Or apologetically sharing the faith. And the first thing is you need to understand that it begins by acknowledging Christ as Lord. Peter says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Now, by that it doesn't mean make Him Lord because Jesus is Lord. That's That's a foundational understanding. As we sang this morning, He's the author of creation. He's the Lord of every man. That's every man, every woman on the face of the earth. He is Lord over all things whether they're acknowledged or not, whether they see that or not, whether they sanctify him as that or not. And the word sanctify there just literally means to set apart in your life. You acknowledge, you set apart Christ as you, your Lord. You say, he is Lord over all things and he reigns supreme in my life. And you desire for that to be a reality on an everyday experience. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts and then he comes back with the practical side. Always being ready to make a defense. Now, Bruce Ware made the point that that word defense there can also mean, mean advocating. Always being ready to advocate the truth. Always being the ad, be ready to advocate to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. In other words, why are you a believer? Now, I realize that in modern-day Christianity... Beginning back in the early 1900s and mid-1900s particularly, there, there was a real movement, or sort of what I call the, the Kumbaya experience of the church, where it's just kind of, let's just all stand around, hold hands, and feel like we feel God. Singing Kumbaya and having this tingly feeling in my spine, that, that, and we've made that basic Christianity. We need to understand that that is not what the Scripture says about our walk with Christ. As a matter of fact, if you listen to what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, you might want to jot that down. You don't have time to run to all these verses with me. But Jesus said to him, that is those who are asking, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and get this, and with all your mind. Christianity is not to be just some feeling religion. It's not to be some feeling relationship that you sit around and just say, well, I feel good about feeling good. I feel good about Jesus. You're supposed to use your mind as well as your heart and your soul to know Him and know the truth and and apply that truth in your own life. Love Him with all your heart, soul, and mind. So that's why we study apologetics. That's a part of engaging and energizing the mind to understand these things. Jude, in his little epistle, in verse 3, made this statement. He said, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Verse 3 in Jude. Jude only has one chapter. So verse 3, I felt it necessary to encourage you, to exhort you, to plead with you, to contend earnestly as a body of believers, as the church, to contend earnestly for the truths, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, that is, through Christ and through his apostles. We live in a day where, quite honestly, that faith that was delivered to the apostles has been watered down, stretched out, turned around, turned on its head, and many people that profess to be churches across this land are not proclaiming that truth and thus disqualifying themselves to even be called a church. Also, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, he said, We, admi- we demolish arguments with-, with every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Excuse me, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ Paul is just simply saying there listen if you want to be effective apologist if you want to be effective witnesses if you want to be effective to what God has called us to do and to be then you must capture every thought in Christ you do that by knowing his word studying his word talking about the hard issues of His Word, and, and, and we won't always agree on everything. You know, I, I, I got all sorts of looks when, uh, Wednesday night during the question and answer time on one of Bruce's answers, and I knew what everybody was looking at, but they weren't saying, does he really believe that? They were saying, do you believe that? Well, no, I actually don't. I, we disagree on that. It's not an essential. I'm talking about the, the literal 24-hour day of creation. But that's not an essential of the faith. That's a matter of, of, of an area where we will have firm discussions, and I assure you that in the car going back and forth to Louisville, we had some firm discussions on that one issue. Actually, before he mentioned it here, we had some firm discussions. But I didn't say, now don't you say that, because that's what he believes, and, and he has a right to express those opinions. And, and I have a right to disagree. We don't, agree, we don't disagree on the evolution creation aspect. We both believe in fiat creation, that God created but you, you can't, you, you've got you've to get into the Word. You've got to ca- capture every thought that you have to the lordship of Christ if you really want to be an effective apologist, evangelist, witness, Christian in the world in which we live. I think Solomon gives us some real good advice on how to approach this in several different ways. And I'll just give you four points that Solomon makes and give you some references to go with it but I think it's important that we hear Solomon and think about Solomon when we think about learning apologetics in order to share the gospel with other people. First of all, Solomon makes it very clear that we're not to be argumentative. In in fact, Solomon would go so far as to say avoid the argument. Avoid an argument. Don't get so heated and so embroiled in this thing that your, your, your blood pressure goes up and you get angry and you start fighting with people that's not the point solomon said in proverbs 17 14 he said starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam you know what happens when you breach a dam you know the wolf creek dam they were afraid it was going to breach and they lowered the water to fix it if it had breached you know what would happen to nashville it would no longer be a large city It would be a third world country for a while, you know, water would flow, it'd destroy things. Solomon says, you know, don't, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. He's simply saying, don't argue. If it gets to that point, say, look, we need to talk about this later. We need to back away from this. We don't need to get angry with one another, we just need to talk this thing through. Now, you and I have had discussions, some of us individually, theological discussions, and we differ on things, but we still love each other, and we don't argue about it. We talk about it, and that's how we're to be in our understanding. Secondly, the, um, and we even looked at that in, in our scripture reading this morning. Uh, David said it also, as well as Solomon. But Solomon says, be sure and pay attention and recognize a fool. Now, if you're a child here this morning, I realize your parents tell you, don't ever call anybody a fool. We don't call people fool, but God, as God, has the right to do that. And he does that. In, in Psalm 53 that we read this morning, the fool has said in his heart, There is no God. And, and, that is, and, and, and the psalmist there is not talking so much about, uh, David's not talking so much about the, the uh, Richard Dawkins of our world that go around saying, There is no God, there is no God, I don't believe in God. He's not talking about the radical atheist. The, the, the wording of this word is even much more common to Somerset, Kentucky than that. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. And his heart means that he just kind of lives as though God doesn't really matter. He, he doesn't pay homage to God. He doesn't pay allegiance to God. He doesn't acknowledge God. He, he accepts all of his blessings as, boy, I did this for myself or whatever. Not his blessings from God. But Solomon told us in 14.7 of, of Proverbs, Stay away from a foolish man, for, for you will not find knowledge on his lips. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You will not find knowledge on his lips. The fool is corrupt and have committed abominable, injusti- abominable injustice. And there's no, no one who does good, David says. Or, or Solomon goes on to say in 23.9 of, of Proverbs, Speak to a fool. Don't, do not speak to a fool, for he will scorn the wisdom of your words. The fool refuses to hear truth. They don't want to hear it. And so sometimes, if you acknowledge a person is foolish in their understanding, you, you, you deal with them lightly and then you back away. You, you don't start an argument with them. Solomon tells us we need to avoid wasting our breath. He says, A fool finds no pleasure in understanding but delights in airing his own opinions. You ever know anybody like that? You say, But here's what God's word says I don't care what God's word says, this is my opinion. And I want to make my opinion known. Well, my opinion is no good and neither is yours if it's not based on, solidly upon God's Word. Even Jesus Jesus warned us about some of our conversation partners and how we deal with it. He said in, in Matthew 7, 6, He said, Do not give dogs what is sacred and don't throw your pearls before pigs. In other words there's some times when you have to be discerning and say well it's just a waste of time now we don't use that for every every situation or we find ourselves just copying out on being what God has called us all to be and that is witnesses to his truth third thing Solomon reminds us of is that people we must remember that people are people we must remember that each person we come to has foolish as they may be are people who fit under that character, uh, category of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should have eternal life. You know, that, that's, a, that's a universal statement that is made in John 3.16. We looked at that months ago in our study of John. And we need to remember that each person that we come into is a potential believer in Jesus Christ. And our goal is not to argue with them, not to wow them with our, our arguments, but to help share the grace of God in their life, because that's what they need. Let me remind you this. Anybody that you can talk into being a Christian by your cleverness and by your uh, your, your emotional things, apart from the Spirit of God working, somebody else will talk out of it, because they never were really in it. So remember that people are people. I was I was reading something this past week and I ran across this and I'd forgotten all about it years and years ago many year, more years ago than I want to admit I read um, a little book you've probably read it you may have even used it before especially if you're in business but it was Dale Carnegie's book how to win friends and influence people you've heard of that haven't you you're of any age at all you have and that little book, it's not scriptural, it's just a very basic approach. But, you know, some of the things he says are pretty, pretty good. He says things like, don't criticize, condemn, or complain when you're dealing with people. Don't be a, don't be a complainer, and don't look to criticize everything. You're not going to win people, you're not going to influence people, you're not even going to influence the gospel if you're always con- condemning and criticizing. Secondly, he said, be honest. Uh, give, give honest Sincere appreciation to people. Thirdly says, arousing the other person an eager want. You know, that's sort of what a testimony can do. You can share what Christ has done in your own life and kind of cultivate that. Four, he said, become genuinely interested in other people. Five, he said, smile. Some Christians would have a whole lot better witness if they just smiled. You know... Most people, if they look at you and you look like you've just been sucking on a dill pickle or a lemon, not gonna have a lot of interest. Smile, he said. Remember the person's name, you know, and 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 you know that because that's the sweetest sound anybody is their name. He said, be a good listener. In, in, in ter- and, and talk about turn in terms of the other person's interest. And, Make the other person sincerely feel important. Those are the kind of things he talked about. Well, it's amazing that Solomon, I think, kind of wrapped that up in in Proverbs 16, 7, when he said, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Now, we realize that the gospel is going to be an offense when it's presented, but you don't need to be offensive. There's a difference in, in me being offensive, you being offensive, or the gospel being an offense. Show people genuine concern. I think Carnegie was onto something even before, even though he may not have recognized where it came from. And then fourthly, Solomon would tell us to remember the power of the tongue. James told us that. You know, the tongue is such a little piece of the body, but it's like the rudder on a ship. It, it affects so much. And, and don't forget the power of your tongue. Proverbs talks about in in ten thirty one about talking with a mouth of righteous, being, having the mouth of a righteous one, letting our speech be upright, bringing forth wisdom with our speech, that it might rescue the wicked, that it might bring healing in, in Proverbs twelve eighteen and sixteen twenty four, that it might commend knowledge to others in fifteen two, that it might promote instruction and have the power of life. It has the power of life and death with the way we speak to people and deal with people. Well, those are just some simple things to remember. When you're studying objections to the Christian faith and you run across somebody who has that objection, don't get in an argument, just share the truth with them. And and then we're going to talk about how you respond when they do bring the dreaded objection. And and, and you know me, you know that my feelings are you ought to ask questions. Sometimes a question is better than a statement. Somebody said that recently. I'm stealing that. I can't remember if Bruce said that in the conference or if Al Mohler said it during one of our sessions at at seminary. I can't remember which it was. But He said, go through the Gospels and look at how many times Jesus asked questions. Will you two depart from me to Peter and the other disciples? He could have said, you guys need to stay here because I have the words of life. But but he didn't do that. He said, are are you going to? Also leave me when the crowd scattered away. And course said, Lord, where are we going to go? You are the words of life. Questions sometimes can get a person to thinking about the things that are really important. And you know, I, I, I borrowed this from a friend out in California. But I like to think about the Columbo method of evangelism and apologetics. Now if you're in here under 40 years of age, you may not have ever heard of Columbo. How many of you have never heard of Columbo? It's a test. Yeah, see? They're all over the place. They're all young people. Well, you need to go to a DVD rental store and rent some Columbo. That's all I got to say. Columbo was a disheveled, bumbling detective. Always had on a trench coat. Always drove an old Studebaker, I believe it was. And always was just kind of mumbling to himself uh, at crime scenes. But he always solved the crime. He was so good. He always did. But usually the way he solved the crime was by getting the, the guilty party to just say, okay, I did it. He's better than Perry Mason. How many of you don't know who Perry Mason is? Oh, never mind. Okay. <laughs> I know I'm dating myself. But Columbo would always ask questions. He would, he would kind of just hang around and, you know, he'd just kind of say, well, I just, you know, there's just one thing that bothers me. There's just one thing. If I could, if I could just ask one more question. And they would always get to the very heart of it. A lot of times, we can do that when someone objects to the Christian faith. Ken, uh, uh, Jeff Myers, who is now the leader of Summit Ministries, which is a ministry that I fully support and really appreciate. All my kids went to it as high school students to learn Christian worldview and apologetics. And that's what they study for two weeks in their, in their summer camps. But, but Jeff Myers told this story one time when I was listening to him speak. And he told about a friend of his that had a group of third graders. He lived in Denver, Colorado, and they, they were taking the, it's a Christian school, and they were taking the third graders to the Denver Museum of Natural History. Now, if you've ever been to a, a museum of natural history where it's in Washington, D.C., the National Museum or a, a local museum, you know that the first thing you're hit with is you walk in the door and you see some kind of fossil or some kind of skeleton, and the sign will declare it's 60 million years old something to that effect well before this teacher took these uh, third graders to this natural history museum he he sat down with them and he said now listen here's what I want you to do kids if anybody in the museum tells you anything authoritatively if they speak as though it's absolute fact I want you to ask them one question how do you know that's true you kind of drill that into their heads whenever somebody says anything authoritatively just ask them how do you know that's true so they went and got to the, the museum, and and uh, a paleontologist met them there and was telling them all about what they were about to do, and he said, uh, the, the lady said, I'm gonna, the paleontologist said, I'm gonna show you how to find a fossil. Evidently they'd taken a fossil and buried it somewhere out in the in the planters or something, and they were gonna go out and look for it, and uh, and it was there. They, we're gonna go find it. Very clever, right? Prepare it, get it ready. Not with this particular crowd of third graders, it wasn't. One of them looked at him and said, They started asking the questions. Well, how do you know there's a fossil down in there? And the lady said, Well, because we just know there's a fossil down in there. And said, Why do you want to find it? Said, well, we want, to, we want to find it because we want to study it. The kid said, Well, why do you want to study it? He said, Well, we want to find out how old it is. She said, well, how old is it? And said, oh, well, it's it's about 60 million years old. One of the little boys in the back raised his hand and said, lady, how do you know that? How do you know that's true? She was patronizing to them, and she said, well, you see, I'm a scientist. That sets up authority immediately. I'm a scientist. I study these things. Uh, I just know that. And they said, but how do you know it's true? And anytime she said anything, they all asked the same question. How do you know that's true? Finally, you realize sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. They looked at her and said one last time, how do you know that's true? And she threw down her tools, glared at the children, and said, look, children, I don't know, okay? I just work here. questions questions somebody says to you "There are really four Columbo questions that you can ask people in any kind of discussion to get the burden of proof on them to defend their position i don't believe there's a god you can ask first of all well, what do you mean by that well, I don't believe there's an old man sitting up somewhere in space on a throne, and he's just sitting there with a long white beard, just kind of throwing thunderbolts and lightning strikes down. Okay, I don't believe in that kind of God either. So, okay, we found a common ground. But what do you mean by that? You know, I believe that all people are basically good. What do you mean by that? Well, I just, you know, are they, are, so there is no evil in the world? There is no bad people oh no they're bad people but it's not their fault oh really yeah they just had a bad education or a bad upbringing it's their environment you know you, you get them talking and get them to thinking about it. what do you mean by that second question good Columbo question is is where did you get your information I, I love that when somebody says to me well you know i i don't believe the bible because the bible is just written by men and it's full of mistakes oh really where did you get your information? Well, I heard somebody say that one time. Oh, okay. So you heard them saying, then you went and studied all the mistakes. Well, no, I've never really made that deep of a study, but I heard somebody that really knew what they were talking about. They said it it was full of mistakes. Well, how do you know they know what they're talking about? Well, they were published in a magazine. They couldn't print it if it wasn't true, could they? They printed the Bible, and you're saying it's full of mistakes. How do you know that's true? That's sort of a a variation, where did you get your information? But how do you know that's true? What is the basis of your understanding? Again, have you studied it? I, I always love when somebody says, well, you know, all religions are basically the same. Really? How do you know that's true? Well, I just know that all religions teach love and charity. And, and, and that was Jesus' basic teaching, wasn't it? He just came and said, Just love everybody and don't try to tell everybody what to do. I had somebody tell me that two weeks ago. I said, really? Is that what Jesus said? Have you studied the teachings of Jesus? Well, I know that everybody's already told me that he just came to teach love and peace. What about when he said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. What about when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God unless they come through me. We'll see that in John 14 soon. I mean, do you see the idea here? You get all these generalizations that really bear no semblance to fact. One of my favorites, especially when they say, well, I just don't believe there is a God, is asking this simple question. What if you're wrong? What are the consequences if you're wrong? What are the consequences if I'm wrong? I can answer that. I don't believe I am wrong, but, but what if you're wrong? There is no God. I won't face judgment. I won't face judgment a god when i die i'm just going to turn back to dirt what if you're wrong do you see how these questions put the burden of proof the burden of uh, of the preponderance of evidence back on them you don't have to know everything you got to know some basic stuff you got to be able to, to to defend some basic stuff But I'll tell you right now that when we're through this this 13 weeks of apologetic study, 12, 13 weeks that we're doing in Sunday school, you'll have the basic stuff you need. And you've already been taught the gospel. You know what the gospel is. And quite honestly, that's why we're doing it is to get the gospel out through the sources where it's supposed to go out through. And that's you and me, not just me, not just the staff. But they're the people who are the people of God in this place. Several things I want you to remember that'll wrap this up. If you have sanctified Christ in your hearts as Lord, as Peter says, do. One of the things you have to do is recognize where to go to people. Jesus said in, in Matthew, at the end of Matthew's gospel. was given the great commission as we call it now and he said go into all the world and make disciples of all men a lot of times we make that go there as a command it's not a command jesus didn't say now get up and go he simply assumed he said literally in the greek it says as you go make disciples go to people with a heart for seeing them know the truth i mean you know Acts 17, 17 describes for us how Paul was effective in his day. Wherever he went, he, he talked to people, engaged people about the truth of the gospel. He's not afraid to ask them questions. He was not afraid to continually point to Jesus Christ. So go to people. Many people are, are so afraid of, of violating somebody else's space, because that's kind of what we've been taught in our, in, in our you know, individualistic privatized society or oh, you can't ever get anybody else's space We're so afraid to get in their space we'll never go to them how much Spurgeon asked the question one time said how much do we need to really hate somebody they won't share the gospel with them how much do we have to really hate somebody that we won't share the gospel with them. If the gospel is the greatest need of all men everywhere to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, how much do we have to just hate them and not care rip about them if we won't share the gospel with them? It's the old burning house illustration. My neighbor's house is burning. I'm not going to say, you know, I, really don't, want to, I don't want to disturb them. I don't want to wake them up. Well, they might be upset with me if I wake them up and tell them their house is on fire. So we let them just burn up and die. You wouldn't do that. Well, I contend to you that people in our day are in a worse condition than people our neighbors in a burning house. And we'd wake them up for that. Why would we not try to wake them up to the truth and the reality of the gospel? Go to people, communicate with people, engage people. You know, sharing the gospel requires, it, it requires communication, but most of the time it requires just caring, relating to them. Effective witness is not just transmission of biblical information, although it is that. It also includes establishing a relationship with the other person. Hearts as well as heads must be met. Paul said to the Thessalonians in writing 1 Thessalonians, he said, I so affectionately long for you went on to say, we were all pleased to import to you not only the good news of God, but also our own lives because you become dear to us. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Paul said there's a relationship here. I want to tell you the truth of God. I want to tell you the gospel. But you relate to people. You remove barriers. You, You break down obstacles, whether they're real or imagined. You do that simply by taking the Christian message seriously. One of the greatest barriers to down a novel is what we'll get to in John chapter 13 in our next message on John. And we, I, I threw Jeff off because he chose a song for it today. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. One of the greatest personal apologetics for Christians is just loving other believers and letting the world see that. It breaks down a lot of barriers. Explain the gospel. You know the basics of the gospel. God created this world and it was perfect. Man fell into sin in the garden and that sin affected all of humankind. All men and women everywhere are sinners and they need a, they need a Savior. They need a Redeemer and Christ has, has come in the flesh, God's Son in the flesh, to be that Redeemer. He died on the cross, rose from the dead and there's, there's plenty of evidence for that. We'll talk about it. Bruce dealt with it last Monday night. We'll talk about that more as we move through our study of apologetics, but you see, and then, but it has to be personally believed. There's an act of personal faith as the Holy Spirit works in your life. Explain the gospel to others. Now, my favorite passage about that, I think, is Acts chapter 16, verse 14, where it's Paul is out by the riverside preaching and teaching, and Lydia is there, and a, a group of other women, and Lydia was a seller of purple, she was a, she was a, a woman of commerce, and and the verse says, the Lord opened her heart so that she heeded the things which were spoken by Paul. There's, there's four, four basic essential elements to sharing the gospel. And they're really quite simple. And they're all involved in that one verse out of Acts sixteen fourteen. There has to be someone talking. In this case, it was the Apostle Paul. He opened his mouth and he taught these things. Paul was speaking. Then there has to be these things. That's the gospel message. I just gave you the 10-second rundown on The message, there has to be someone talking, things spoken, the gospel, someone listening, and then the Lord working upon them and them believing. That's what happened in Lydia's life. You know, many of us say, well, we just can't share the gospel. We can't do evangelistic apologetics or apologetical evangelism. We can't do that because... We're afraid people won't respond. Listen, that's not your—that's not your responsibility. It's God's. Your responsibility and my responsibility is just to share it, just to engage people, just to open up conversations, and and invite others to come to Christ. Invite them to believe. Invite them to trust Him. Listen, it's not always going to be what we would deem successful. That is a person falling down before Christ and acknowledging him as Lord. Many times it will say, I don't want any part of that. That's okay. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting the message and rejecting the Savior. And Jesus said that's going to happen. But it doesn't relieve us of our responsibility to do that. And then when someone does believe and we, we we're shocked by it, aren't we? Oh, you really, you really want to you you really want to trust Christ? Now, are you, you sure you understood what I said? I mean, that's usually how we are, because we don't expect it. Then you make every effort by every means possible to establish them in the faith. You, get them invo- you invite them to come to church with you, not because church saves them, because that's where they can grow, where they can be fed, where they can gain assurance of their salvation, where they can get active in, in vital fellowship and vital ministry with the church. See, that's why we're doing this. It's it's not just so we can get you more knowledge. It's not just so that last Wednesday night, I used Wednesday night because even my head was boiling a bit or hurting just a little bit trying to work through all this. Very good stuff. But it was, it was a lot in one hour on one sheet of paper. You know, we didn't do that just to give you more knowledge. We gave you that so you can encounter people. People that are hurting, people who are experiencing evil in their life, who are experiencing suffering in their life. You know, you you just have to realize that God is in control, and you can help them see that and work through it, just as Job did, and any number of other people have through their life. We don't have a world where Satan's out there doing what he wants to do, and God can't do anything about it. I can't use that because it's I heard somebody share about a wasn't a Baptist church, but a church out in California. There are Baptist churches in California, but this wasn't one of them. Had a new pastor and they brought a guy in who said he was a prophet, and he laid his hands on the guy, and and, and this guy, this prophet prophesied over the pastors. A large church in, in Los Angeles here and said, said this man is going to be a prophet to the nations no he's going to 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 the nation no he's going to be a prophet to the nations to the whole world he's going to speak for god and millions are going to believe i'm not making this up 30 seconds later the pastor on whose hands were being laid had a stroke killed over and died the prophet said oh i I was telling the truth I, i was right But Satan killed him. You know? Well, that is incongruous with Christian faith, folks, and with biblical truth. It it, it doesn't match up. Satan doesn't have the power to destroy. If this guy was saying God's going to use him this way, Satan didn't have the power to come in and cut it off the knees. We need to see that we serve a mighty God who can use you with other people in asking questions that will open up discussion whereby you can share the gospel. Now let me, let me be clear here. Just asking somebody where did you learn that or, or what's your authority on that or, or how do you know that will never lead them to Christ. you got to take the next step. But it opens the door for the next step. It opens the door to show them the one who is the way, the truth, and the life through which no one comes to the, in, in which no one comes to the Father except through him. The questions soften the situation for people to think through their own false presuppositions in order to be able to show them the truth. Folks, that's our call. That's our responsibility as believers. Jesus said in Acts 1, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and that's when you are saved, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Samaria, in the uttermost parts of the world. And I know we sometimes try to make application of that. as This is our Jerusalem, the is our Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the world is everywhere else. I, I take that verse more literally. I think Jerusalem was Jerusalem, Samaria was Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world is where we live right now. And we're to be missionaries in this uttermost parts of the world where God has placed us. And when Jesus says, as you go, make disciples, he's not saying plan a trip, plan a mission trip, plan an evangelistic meeting, plan something that's unique. But he's saying, as you go, as you go to school tomorrow, Ask questions about people's presuppositions that are faulty thinking biblically. As you go to work tomorrow and somebody says, oh, you were at church yesterday? Well, I don't go to church. I don't believe in God. Ask a question, well, what do you mean by God? And, and, and why are you, where's your authority on that? You know, ask questions that will soften the situation and open the door for being able to say, you know, Jesus Christ is not just founder of another religion. Jesus Christ is truth. He doesn't have any competing truth. He is truth. And lead people to see that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life by which they might have eternal life and might know God. That's your call. That's my call. That's my call, not as a pastor. My call as a pastor is to equip you to do that. My call as a pastor is to teach you the things of Christ so that you might grow. My call as a shepherd is to care for your souls. But it's all our responsibility. That's why you won't see on our order of worship there, under my name and Scott's name and Todd's name and and Ricky's name, you don't see ministers, senior minister or minister. we're, We're not We are ministers, but we're ministers just like you are. We're pastors. We only have four pastors here. We have about 300 and something ministers. who are called to share the gospel wherever you go. Let's pray together. Father, that's a lot to talk about this morning, but help us, Lord, to recognize that we get equipped to be effective for the gospel, that as we sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts, we acknowledge you as Lord. Maybe we need to bring that down to our vernacular day. We acknowledge you as boss of our life. Ruler of our life. We set you apart as that for your glory and for our good. Lord, as you are, Lord, working within us, teaching us your truth, Lord, you will use us in the lives of those around us. Use us, oh Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.